Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is understanding distributed order management with my friend Dan Gilmore. How's it going, Dan? Joe, it's going great and uh, very glad to be uh, back here again to speak with you today. I'm very excited too. I'm very This is a this is a a topic that we all need to know about. I know some people are probably rolling their eyes going, "Oh no, order management is going to be boring." But this is the stuff that makes our e-commerce work. And not just e-commerce. It makes our business work. So you need to start understanding this stuff. This is the stuff that's making it work or not work. So stick around. Dan understands it and he'll explain it to us. So anyway, Dan, before we go any further, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. This is Dan Gilmore again. I'm Chief Marketing Officer at a company called Softion, headquartered in Reston, Virginia. My home base is actually uh, Dayton, Ohio area. But we're a supply chain software company, including warehouse management, warehouse execution systems, and our what we're talking about today, distributed order uh, order management. And uh, I have a broad platform of solutions that all kind of fall uh, flow from those three main core anchor uh, solutions that I just mentioned. And I got myself down to Dayton many years ago working for NCR and got into the barcode and data collection uh, er- er- area. And that kind of led to wireless systems, led to warehouse management systems, and uh, have been very focused on that for many years. Yeah, and you've been in you've been in a lot of the warehouse management companies, and so you've seen the way it's worked. And I know you just recently, well, I should say recently, in the last few years, joined Softion. What did you see when you joined Softion? What was uh, what was the opportunity? Because I know you could have gone any number of places. I did some consulting for Softion before uh, taking a spot there, and uh, you know, I just got to see the uh, level of innovation and the level of uh, concern for customer success and. Uh, Wish I could say the software industry was always focused on that, but the reality of it is, is not. So, what uh, I think some help the areas where they needed some help were things I was good at, and uh, I was very pleased to join a company that uh, had a kind of attitude and solution set that the Softian did. So it's it's worked out well. Yep, and I I, I know there's a uh, a lot of restrictions on with the way we talk about it, but uh, you guys did real well in the Gartner survey. I know you shared some of that with me. <laughs> I won't talk about it anymore because I'm afraid I'll step in a landmine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just got to be a little sensitive. But uh, yeah, the Gartner does a thing called the Magic Quadrant, that well known, and then another thing called the Crit- Critical Capabilities Report for WMS, which looks at nothing but WMS functionality across a variety, variety of uh, attributes. And uh, for warehouses of level three, four, five complexity on their scale of one to five, with one being simple and five being heavily au- complex and automated, uh, we were second or third uh, in each of those categories, which. Uh, lobbied for a slightly higher, not much higher possible, but slightly higher position. But we're very pleased with how we score there. And uh, certainly a lot of companies look at the Gartner material before they decide who they'd like to invite for a, a you know a selection opportunity. And uh, so that's very helpful for us. Well, I think also when you talk about buying software, any sort of software, but especially warehouse management or transportation management software, any of that, you don't buy it every year. So you don't always have the latest and greatest information on what's out there. But on top of that, you don't, you, you don't probably don't have a team that's purchased it lately either. <laughs> yeah. And we see all, all kinds of, but you're right. I mean, people hold on to these applications for seven, 10, sometimes even for almost forever. There's still some very old systems, 1990s era systems that are out there in some cases, but yeah, I mean, it's, if, and if you're not looking at, you know, you're not doing this for a job or whatever, you got your own work to concerned about. So when people, unless they've just come in from another company that did a selection recently or something like that, you know, it's kind of a educational process uh, in terms of kind of reorienting yourself to what's going on with the WMS technology or Dom in this case, a little newer solution than WMS. But yeah, you know, it takes a little while to get up to speed, but there's lots of materials out there that can help you do that and uh, lots of consultants that can help you as well. Right. And one of the things, actually, we had this conversation yesterday. I was wondering when was the first warehouse management system. And you you had actually Googled it, I think. What was the first warehouse management system that was first used? Google it. I've known that for a long time. It, uh, See, you have been doing this be, a while. <laughs> yeah, generally believed to be in 1975 uh, when a company called Logisticon, that's long gone, but implemented a uh, WMS, which uh, basically is an inventory. What defines a WMS versus an inventory management software is 
It does inventory management and tracking, but it uses mobile wireless terminals, commonly called RF, and pervasive use of barcode scanning to confirm transactions and um, ensure accuracy and, and those kind of things. So they would ble- uh, believe that a JCPenney warehouse, not long after that, a company called Catalyst, which is still around in some form, different name, implemented another WMS in Del Monte Food. So there's a little bit of competing claims there. But anyway, 1975, so we're coming up on a 50-year anniversary of uh, WMS in just a few years. Yeah, and this is this has come up before when we talked about transportation management system, but it applies also to warehouse management system is that the most sophisticated companies, the ones that had the most complicated problems, they're the ones who implemented WMS first, way back in the 70s, and that was probably the early ones, but I'm sure in the 80s, 90s, they implemented all these warehouse management systems. And if you are you know, one of those big companies like a Del Monte or JCPenney, you have millions and millions of transactions that you've done. And that becomes the challenge. You've also probably added on, done some uh, you know, custom integrations along the way. And then when somebody says, hey, it's time to buy a new software or at least look at it, you're like, God almighty, when did we do that last? Yeah, there's no question. And, uh, you know, the uh, all the systems, through, well through the 90s, even into the 2000s, were heavily customized systems. And that fortunately has changed for us. Almost all of our opportunities are, are out of the box or just about out of the box of, you know, solutions and uh, whatever. But there's still a lot, you know, it's one of the barriers. There's still a lot of uh, customers that have huge customization companies that have huge customizations. Uh, you know, they've taken over the software from a, from a firm that went out of business or got sold or bought off or whatever. And, you know, that still represents a decent different, decent sized part of the market is the companies that are looking to finally get off these legacy systems they've had for 15, 20 years. Right. And sometimes, Dan, am I wrong to say this? They don't even have a choice because they might have been on a, a legacy system. And when that company got bought, the new company said, we're going to migrate you to our new system. And that's usually a good time to say, should I consider looking around before I let myself go through this? What's going to be a very difficult transition? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That 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 is very common. I think that is a trigger when you've got a up uh, an upgrade that is basically the, sa- the same as a brand new project. That certainly causes some people often to go out and start surveying the market to see whether what they've got is really what they want to have going forward. Yeah, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna move my million millions of transactions, I want to make sure I'm moving it to somebody that I want. So maybe <laughs> not necessarily just the company that bought me, so or bought my old software provider. Sure. So anyway, let's switch gears. I wanted to talk to you today. And by the way, I have interviewed Dan before. What I'll do is I'll put a link to those those uh, interviews in the show notes. And Dan's always the one who's uh, explaining these things. And I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, this, what is, a, what is distributed order management and compare that to like the, what did we have before that? So Take us through the traditional and then what it, why why we're using distributed order management in some situations now. Sure. And, and um, you, you know, it's, I think at the very beginning you said something about, you know, this is something people need to know about. I, I uh, co-authored an article in CSCMP's uh, Supply Chain Quarterly uh, publication. I think it was 2021. And the title was something to the effect of uh, the most important software category you probably haven't heard of. And that's really how I view kind of DOM. It, it really is a, a Swiss army knife of different capabilities that uh, deeply connected to trends and in, in how we're distributing products and e-commerce and uh, things like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to first just highlight, I, I'm, there's a, many, many different things that the, the DOM can do. I'm just going to start with what I think is actually the most important one, which is that it enables companies to very precisely define and then dynamically execute their business strategies and their fulfillment strategies, and to be able to do that over time, there's re- adapt that over time. There's really nothing like this in the supply chain software market, as far as I know. And I've been covering this industry a lot of different ways for many years. Uh, you, you can. Oh define- yeah, you're the publisher of that. Uh, what is this? Supply chain. Supply chain digest. Yeah. Yes, which is one of the best. Yeah. I know you still contribute to it, so. I, I still write a weekly column. Yeah. So. Um, so. It allows you to say, this is what I want to do in an English language-like approach to define how you want the business to work and not coding, not, you know, complex, you know, right. workflow management or whatever. It's, it's using a, what's called a dynamic rules engine. And, and then the ability to do this, I, I sometimes we do demos or whatever, and people say, 
can you do this? Can you do that? And, and my technical people sometimes look a little askance at me when I say this, but maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not too much, which is I say, if you can define it in English, what you want to happen, we can make it work in the DOM. And, and, and so in this era of, you know, both trying to adopt strategies in rapidly evolving times and needing to adapt those over time, the ability to do that is just effectively, it's just an incredible competitive advantage. And it gets you from idea to action much more rapidly than the way traditional software has worked. And so I didn't know much about Dom, you know, not that many years ago. And as I got to know, I said, this is just really, really different. I don't know if every company does it the same, but I think there's similar among the leaders, some, some certainly some similarities. But the, the way we do it is just that, that flexibility to say, this is how I want the business rules to work. And to be able to do that without program, without programmers, people can go in and just create and, and, and uh, configure rules. Yeah, and I think this is the way laymen like myself want to work is I want to be able to say, here's here's what's going on in my business, and you guys be able to translate it into you know your, the software. But give me an example how this might um, serve somebody. Well, I mean, and we'll get into this later in the conversation, but just as an easy example, you know, if, if an, an order comes in, how should that order be routed to which node in my network, whether my own node or a third-party node or a vendor dropship or whatever it happens to be? How do I pick the best one that's going to meet customer service requirements and do so at least possible cost? And 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 we'll go through some use cases a little bit later in the in the uh, in the, there. There's so many different kinds of use cases, both B two B and B two C. Well, if we, hopefully we have enough time to go through those uh, kind of towards the end. I think I think when we. T- when we had one warehouse and that warehouse supported stores, that was, that was, we had rules in place and and we didn't need dynamic anything. Now we have multiple warehouses sometimes and we have omni-channel. So the rules that we want our business to work by um, have gotten a lot more complex and we need software because otherwise we have to jump in and be in the middle of all these to make the decisions yeah, and ourselves. And you can't, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, it just it won't scale up, and you'll lead yourself to problems. No, there's no question about you know no question about that. The networks are more complex, strategies are more complex, multiple channels of distribution. They each have their own rules and uh, and and all of those kind of things. And so Dom, you know, does that and and does it in a you know based on a number of different ways. And the starting you mentioned. Uh, different warehouses. So it starts with very granular real-time visibility to inventory across an extended network. That could be my own distribution centers. That could be a third-party distribution center. That could be a vendor that is going to do shipping for me or, or even potentially uh, different uh, uh, dealers across your network. We've seen some examples where companies want to actually take inventory from one independent dealer and have them ship it to another independent dealer that are all under the, you know, the, the company brand, the, distrib- the main company's brand. And how do you do that? What are the rules around doing that? And how do you execute that right. effectively? That, that's the kind of thing that Dom can do. And, and I like to kind of call it, uh, you know, fulfillment orchestration at the network level. So Dom doesn't get down into the communicates, has to communicate, to get the visibility and to deliver the instructions to the individual nodes, whether they're your own or whether they're a third party. But at the network level, across these different nodes that are available, it's going to say for each and every order, when the, I have to decide now for this order, where am I going to source this inventory from? And and what are the rules associated with making that decision? That's what Dom does that really has not existed, you know, until Dom came on the, on, on the scene. And so just, you know, like, again, this, uh, we'll go through some more, but I call it the Swiss Army knife because it's got screwdrivers, it's got pliers, it's got a knife. It seems like you it's know, got all the, the different tools out there, and it's just how you want to configure those to solve your particular problem. Yeah, it reminds me, um, I used to say this about implementing software, is that we have to have sometimes running rules for what goes into the system, right? And then you don't hear the people you say running rules that go with software anymore because we're able to kind of put more and more into the software. But it's this feels like this is the running rules for the way we're going to manage our manage our fulfillment. T- take us through and talk a little bit about the history of how we got to this. What did we used to do before we had Dom? And then when did this come about? Yeah, so it's, it's actually the history is kind of interesting. Um, you know, in the uh, dot-com era, as all kinds of, you know, you know the term e-tailer sprung onto the scene. And I'm talking in, you know, 2000 type time frame, 2001, back before the bubble crashed. You know, you had these e-tailers who held no inventory. 
and were were brand brand companies of one kind or another that were relying on a supplier network to do their orders for them. Today, what we call drop shipping. I don't think that term was used at that time frame, and I was very involved back then, actually, as an analyst in, in part studying the market there. So there was a couple of companies that I'm aware of. There may have been some others, but in that time frame, said, "Okay, how do we solve this problem?" And so it was, "How do we connect a diverse supplier network to be able to see inventory and to be able to route inventory based on some set of rules to the right supplier who we have at least a high, reasonably high level of confidence actually has the inventory to fill, fill the product." So this was a real need in the ETL, new ETL world. But then the dot-com, you know, bubble crashed and or, you know, the bubble you know, blew up or whatever. And then it kind of down, kind of didn't go anywhere for, for a number of years. And then we had the 2008, 2009 recession and kind of pulled things back and all that. And then it was, you know, really a little bit after that, you know, starting about 2016, 2017, where, you know, this kind of came back and this is as e-commerce was starting to really gain some momentum here. And, and now, you know, it's just the today's version of the e-tailer of, uh, you know, many years before. And so, you know, now Dom has become almost essential if you were an omni-channel retailer. And a lot of the market pays most attention, both from an analyst perspective, as well as from a you know, strategy company, software company strategy perspective on that retail fulfillment market. And it is a big market, but we believe there's significant opportunities in the, uh, you know, in outside of retail uh, both in direct consumer strategies for uh, brand companies as well as in B2B strategies in some very wild and wild, uh, very, very unusual. Hopefully I have a chance to share a couple of these examples. Very creative thinking in terms of how this product might be used in a B2B context. And so uh, a lot going on. And I just we just mentioned real quickly, you know, it's in, in terms of, uh, you know, you could, Dom also allows you to, you know, manage very complex order policies. So things like what are the rules around back orders? Can you process uh, so We run into lots of companies, especially in the 3PL world that want to be able to handle subscription business, you know, where I order something, and I get these three things every month or whatever. How do I handle that effectively? Inventory allocation. How do I do that both generally and, and, and across uh, channels? Uh, do I, or is it firm by channel or or can I right. transfer allocation from one or inventory from one channel to another? How do I handle new product introductions? Uh, and, and at the end of the day, what this, is, this usually has some resonance. I say you're trying to select the node for fulfillment that meets the customer commitment or the SLA that you have you, know, you have uh, agreed to, but do that while considering network capacities and constraints, and in the end, pick the least possible cost sourcing node that meets that customer need. And I was a bit of a mouthful of, of saying it, but that in its core, whether it's B2B or B2C, that in the end is at the core of what Adam does. Yep. Now, let me ask a question because um, I've heard people use the term fencing before. Do you ever hear that term, fencing? Fencing? Yeah. And what they meant by that was, let's just say uh, I have two retailers and I'm, I'm, I'm going to send one ask for all my stock. And I say, no, I'm not going to give that all my stock to that guy. I'm going to I'm going to fence and make sure I can give some to Dan and some to Joe so Joe doesn't hog them all and Dan has empty shelves. And I know this speaks more to retail, but when we have these omni-channel requirements, you could see where somebody said, "Hey, this took off selling at stores and now my Amazon or my online isn't I'm not capable of fulfilling anything on those." So is it is that part of what oh, Absolutely. Do? And again, this is see this is what's so key, Joe. Because what you just described there is a business problem, primarily. Right. It's not a supply chain problem, if you will, or it's, or it's a derivative supply chain problem. The, the, the problem you were talking about there is what is my strategy if I have more demand than I have inventory and capacity? What should be the rules that say how much I give each of my channel partners or some level of my channel partners and how do I execute that? That is precisely what you can do in Dom. So if you've got an Amazon and you, I don't know, and of course, Amazon probably doesn't like me saying this, but if you've got Amazon that's going to consume all your inventory and you want to hold, hold back on some of that, well, then your allocation to Amazon is 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 set. And, and it could even be derivative of, you know, I, my inventory levels go up and down and so my allocation to Amazon is going to go up and down. And, and, and then when the order comes in, no one has to look at it. No one has to... To try to figure it out that you defined already the rules 
And so it's going to just dynamically execute those roles. And and guess what? You know, as, as that changes over time, you you didn't used to do uh, Walmart and now you're doing Walmart in addition to Amazon or some other marketplace. Well, how do I adapt that role very easily without coding, without ever to now encompass that new reality? I'll tell you one interesting thing that I'm going to get out of the retail world for a second, but we're working with a equipment manufacturer. We may come back and talk about that uh, a little bit, but basically they're sold out of their equipment and they have allocation by their dealers. And so when a dealer reaches, you know, their allocation for the month and coming out of a sales and operations planning process, you know, they try to place an order, you know, we're going to flag that and say, you know, you, you had an allocation for 50 this month, and this is big expensive equipment. You had an allocation for 50 this month. This is your 51st order. So you can't just have it. But on the other hand, if some people, other people are underperforming their, their allocation, right. we don't want to lose that order. We want to say, okay, we're taking it away from partner B that's only sold 10 out of their 50. And we're going to give that allocation part of it to the first one that already got reached their allocation of 50. And again, all these things I'm talking about are business problems that you'd say, I, you say, you first have to define what do you want those rules to be? Once you define what you want the rules to be, right. to encode them in DOM through configuration is a pretty basic, simple exercise. Yeah. Dan, when you were talking about that, it, it, it occurred to me, if I was running some a business, I'd say, okay, you're responsible. You are responsible for the Amazon. You're responsible for our website and you're responsible for our retail. And then I could see somebody coming back and saying, hey, so-and-so is taking too much of our inventory and there's not enough left for my channel. I could also see where at some point there's a, maybe I make less on my transactions with Amazon. So I say, I want to limit for that reason. But to your point, what if one day I'm slow in retail and I do have extra? So these would have to be these would have to be a whole bunch of conversations and a whole bunch of brain power, maybe more than the average person could even compute in their head. I mean, I could see going to a, a to a whiteboard and debating it all afternoon. <laughs> so, well, there, yeah, so so there's two things. There's, you know, but but first you do the you know a human being does have to do the strategy right and so first you have to come up with what the strategy and what you how you would like the system to work now you know then and and then the the great news is you can you know again very easily adapt those strategies over time because we're in a tremendously dynamic world you know if if you're a retailer just for example you add five new stores that you want to make fulfillment points you know how do I go in and say okay now for these orders given these attributes and characteristics. These orders that were going to other retail stores for fulfillment are now going to the five new ones because they didn't exist before and they're closer to us. They're in Minneapolis and you didn't have a Minneapolis distribution center stores there or whatever. You know, you need to be able to do that in, you know, hours, days, not weeks and months through additional coding or whatever. And I, I realize I'm getting a little bit repetitive here, but that's the beauty of the thing is, is first off, initially setting the rules, as you said there, but there, something changes every day. And oh, I can't yeah. possibly keep up with that from a coding perspective. I need to have a tool that I can flexibly do that with using nothing but super users, not IT people, just smart super users that can understand, okay, this is how we want it to work. I'm going to go in and encode that and make it work and done. Yeah. I want to go through some case studies, but I want to kind of point out how this is such a real world problem. It is December 22nd. We're going to release this probably after the new year. But December 21st yesterday, I was at Meyer, one of my favorite stores. And uh, I was at Meyer. It was late. It was like 10 o'clock at night. It was picked over. And you know, Meyer never wants to be picked over, but they are, right? And then I'd sent a birthday gift to one of my daughters. It was two days late. And it's not still not arrived. And I, it hit me like, you know, as even though we went, we survived COVID, we still have lots of problems. And th those are not related to just the logistics guys or just the manufacturers. These are complex problems that you're, we're trying to address. So um, there's a good chance there's inventory for some of this stuff. It just didn't get there. <laughs> yeah, and, and part of that has to do with the visibility. Some of that's a logistic stuff that are outside of anybody, you know, can anybody can do. If the carriers just don't have the capacity, there's nothing Dom or anything can do. To yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I know. All, all that issue. But, but, but let me just give you a, a, another kind of twist on what you said there. So a couple, was it 2001? Uh, if you remember, there were tremendous ice storms down in the Dallas, Texas uh, uh, area. I think it hit Houston as well. Unheard of, you know, low temperatures and, uh, and right. uh, he heavy ice. Well, we have had a couple of Dom customers, but one particular customer of mine had 
at distribution points in Dallas and uh, near near Houston, maybe it's Austin or something like that. And 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 from you know serving a certain segment of the market. Well, all of a sudden those those facilities were down. Workers didn't come in. They didn't, no no one opened up. Whatever. Well, what do you do? Well, you know, with Dom, very very quickly you're able to say, okay, for this period of time. Uh, or until we tell you differently, we're actually going to route the orders that we're going to go to to Dallas or Houston or Austin, and we're going to route them to Salt Lake City or you know New Orleans or you know wherever. Right. Where, and 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 do that again in a very rapid period of time, and then when the ice storm clears and things are back to normal, you can go back to the rules that you had before that. So that's the way that's the way that Dom can help in terms of supply chain disruption. If your supply chain is disrupted and you need to now change the logic. You don't have to go to the programmers and say, here's what I need you to code up. You go into the DOM and change the rules. Right. You, by using DOM, we get that resiliency. Take take that, that brittleness out of our supply chain. Give us that flexibility that we need. So, and, and we see certain companies able to do that over and over again. I think it's becoming more of a an expectation by customers is that, you know, I've heard people who are, you know, oh, I heard a teenager talking about fulfillment in a way that I was like, God, I don't even know what the word fulfillment meant when I was his age. But there's when we want that resiliency, which we we lacked a little bit of during COVID, and right now we're lacking a little bit of it. We need a dom. So take us through some, some case studies, Dan, because uh, there. Uh, I think I think it'll the highlight highlight the importance of why we need this. So let's take one, and this is kind of the classic. Although I'm going to, you know, again emphasize this is by far from the only application. But you know, we've got one customer that's a uh, fast-growing omni-channel retailer. They were all, only catalog and uh, online until I don't know four years ago, something like that, when they decided to open up a network of stores. And now I think they have uh, upwards of uh, 90 uh, stores. And so they needed to be. Able- I know who you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think did I say 90? I have 70 stores. I think. But, uh, you know, they, they, they needed, now with these physical stores, they needed a new set of capabilities. They needed to do things like buy online, pick up in store. When COVID came around, to be able to do curbside picking, to be able to do fulfillment out of stores. And so with Dom, you know, what you should be able to do is to add those capabilities to, an ex- to, a, to a company without having to modify the underlying, often legacy type systems that the, that the retailer or omnichannel retailer has. And so you want to, they, this company was able to enable those kind of processes without doing all kinds of changes to their existing systems. They just put the DOM layer in on top and integrated with these other systems, and they were able to get up and running much more faster. And they're doing, you know, the optimal order sourcing. Again, you know, identifying for each and every order, what is the least cost place to source that from that's going to meet the carrier customer commitment that we've uh, given, made. But again, this notion of capacity is a constraint. So store Fulfillment operations, or if you've ever seen, are not usually the most sophisticated operations, and they have a limited capacity. So you could have a scenario, you know, defined in the DOM that says, "Okay, this store can do. Let's just make something up. Forty online order fulfillments a day. That's it." So even if that's the low, if that now an order comes in, and the least cost place and the best place to ship it from is this store, but it's reached its capacity of 40, I got to route that to a different store or back to a fulfillment center right? because I just don't have the capacity. And and so this is where the dynamic nature of it is. That in the traditional system, you wouldn't have that capability automatically built into the DOM. You have that DOM layer. You, you wouldn't have, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. And you can, you can take that even further, right? Because you could say, all right, that, that, that 40 a day, that's kind of a generic capacity, but I could, in this particular case, they're not, but, not, but I could actually tie that to who showed up today. So, you know, I got the capacity I have to get orders out of a, of a retail store or a distribution center, frankly, but let's just take a retail store, for example, is, is dependent on how many, you know, how many, how many employees I have working today. If I only have a bare threshold that I'll have to be busy taking care of customers, I may have little to no capacity today. So that's something that can be factored in. And this is something that we are doing, which is if their capacity is 40 and halfway or three quarters of the way through the day, they've only done eight of the 40 orders that we've sent. We're actually going to take some of those orders because it looks like the store is not going to get it done. So we can automate seamlessly to the retailer, they would, this individual store. They wouldn't even know. We're going to take some of those, you know, at noon or whatever, or two o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to take some of those orders that we're supposed to go to this store, move them to a different place because it doesn't look like this store that they went to is on top of their game today for whatever reason. And, 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 and that all just happens automatically based on the rule set. Right. And in the past, you would have 
to have somebody looking through those and then make that decision. But who knows if they're making the right decision, right? It, 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 it never could work. I, I, it wouldn't get done. It's the, the, the bottom. There's not enough manpower to do that, you know, on a manual right. basis across whatever number of stores. So it just wouldn't happen. And one, one interesting thing on this particular case study, I'll just note also, is that we're also doing what we call inventory balancing. So as goods are ordered and come in, say, the ports of LA or Long Beach or whatever that happens to be, you know, where should that inventory that's been on a boat for three weeks or four weeks or whatever it's been? When we ordered it, um, we got some advanced ship notices using a vendor portal to say it's what's going to show up. And so when it arrives now, we have more information than we did a month ago when we placed the order uh, in terms of what DC, maybe even which store should receive what amounts of that inventory. And so we're going to factor in, you know, current on hand inventory, what the forecast is, any promotions that are going on. And it's kind of like reverse DOM. It's on optimizing the inbound side to say, okay, given that I've just received these goods uh, ordered weeks and months ago, where should they be shipped to from the port today? That's going to meet those kind of meet those kind of attributes that I just mentioned. So this is very cool. Yeah, we absolutely positively need it, and we do know that there's stores. I think we all know about Target. Target does a lot of their fulfillment from their stores, but not all of it. And I, they would have to have some sort of rules. So they probably have some sort of DOM that does says we can do these ten orders, but not the eleventh through the twentieth today on this particular product. Yeah, and that's exactly how that. I mean, I've read some things about about Target. I think that's very accurate in terms of how they operate. Yes, and and by the way, there's such a rarity in that there's a huge brand. Walmart can do it, Target can do it, but it's for most companies, they're not going to have loca- You know, they're going to have one or two locations in your in your metropolitan area. So we have to recognize that. So well, let me just uh, you got time for one more point yeah. on this in terms of yeah in terms of omnichannel. I like to think of I kind of to the best of my knowledge I invented this concept of the there's there's three different kind of main entities POIs or points of interaction this is where I'm actually placing an order from that's a website that's walking into a store that's a kiosk that's your phone that's something uh, who knows what something else uh, your television pretty soon right you know, so you have all kinds right. of points of interaction you have different points of distribution PODs you have your own facilities you have stores you have partner vendor facilities you have original equipment manufacturer facilities, whatever it happens to be. And then I've got increasingly important, of course, in, in Omnichannel is points of return or PORs. And what <laughs> I need to be able to do is to enable all of the different combinations that make sense there in terms of how do I connect the different points of interaction with the different points of uh, fulfillment and then then as a reverse logistics perspective, the points of return. And again, that's a very useful framework to think about. Uh, and this is what Dom can allow you to do, because maybe I don't want to enable every point of fulfillment for every point of interaction for whatever reason. OK, and then how does point of how, how, where do I want products to be returned by? And is that going to change over time? I'm going to start with one strategy. It's working or not working. Um, you know, not every store, but just some stores, whatever it happens to be. So connecting and, and, and integrating the flows between points of interaction, points of, dis- of fulfillment and points of uh, return is, is one of the great benefits that Dom can bring. Yeah, and by the way, that that is the uh, Rubik's Cube for humans to figure out. You have to go come up with a strategy and say, we're going to enter it in the system, and when we don't have to touch it every single day and make those hundreds, if not thousands, of individual decisions across the supply chain. So are you ready for another case study? Yeah, let, let me just throw one other thing out there sure. before we get into that. So we've heard, and it seems like it's moving slower than we wanted, uh, Wall Street Journal wrote about Amazon opening department stores. I'm doing air quotes because I think that's kind of a insult to what we know Amazon does. But one of the things um, I'm I'm pretty sure that they're going to be they're going to sell their private label stuff. Of course, we all know that there's going to be real high tech in the checkout. But a big part of that strategy is just what you mentioned: the point of returns. Uh, because returns is thirty percent of e-commerce. So it's a huge it's a huge deal, and we've all done return stuff. But you know another thing that we see um, Goodwill and all these charities say get an incredible amount of stuff that people said I'm not going to return. I'm just going to go take it, <laughs> take it to Goodwill and get rid of it. So I love what you said. Point of interactions that's where kind of where we buy it. Point of distribution or fulfillment, and then points of return. This is the Rubik's cube, but we can't figure out on our own. We need to, we need the techies to help us. Well, and and it's a constantly evolving. It's as if the yes, uh, it's a constantly evolving <laughs> Rubik's cube. So 
what side is what color today changes tomorrow. Oh, and yeah, the points of interaction. Re, re, uh, re, you know, those people that can do it in like 20 seconds or whatever. Uh, that's kind of like, that's a good analogy for what Dom does. We Dom is the is the is the uh, Rubik's Cube genius that can solve the problem in, in, in a short period of time. Dom does it dynamically. And that's something that's very valuable for companies. Yeah. And again, this is this is a if if we don't have this, if we say we're going to do omni-channel and we don't have this, we are in trouble because it is the, the, the things that were, it's not just a matter of I ship to homes and I ship to uh, retailers. It's the back and forth, the give and take every day where the retailer didn't need all this. I'm going to move some of it over to, to e-commerce too hard. Anyway, take us to another case study. Sure. And I'll just mention real quick, you know, in terms of, you know, we think of omnichannel retail, and that's what we've been talking about for the last number of minutes here. But, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of action going on in consumer goods companies and brand companies that uh, may or may not have some kind of online channel, but are looking for new kinds of strategies. So we're increasingly talking to, you know, again, brand type companies, apparel companies, whatever hard goods companies that, you know, are, are looking to employ some kind of, you know, sell anywhere, ship anywhere type of strategy. But any, you know, anywhere in my network, I ought to be able to know that the inventory is there and then be able to use it, allocate it and ship it uh, to meet customer order. So I'm going to use that. And that's what Dom does again. I'm, uh, so I'm going to use that as a general statement. Then I'll talk about one consumer goods company, not quite as sophisticated as that, but uh, they're, they're using not only our Dom's. We actually do have a traditional distributed order management system or inventory uh, order management system, OMS. So they actually have both the Dom and pieces of our, of our OMS to use what they call a enterprise uh, order management system but they one of their big challenges is vendor drop ship so uh, they have i believe something like 50 different vendors they route orders from themselves they don't hold the inventory they route the orders to the appropriate dropship vendor within the processes facilitated by dom to do the they do the pick and pack and ship but terms of confirming the transaction and the updating the status and and all of that stuff so and what's kind of interesting there is sometimes they run into what i call double drop ship where they have some SKUs that they always drop ship from 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 a vendor, but sometimes they get may get an order for a retail. This is I didn't say so. It's consumer package goods company. I hope I did. They get an order from a retailer, and they actually are out of the inventory. They would normally ship it themselves, not through the vendor. But in this particular case, they're out of that inventory, so they'll drop ship it again to the original the the you know the product manufacturer. And so you get this kind of double effect. So the other thing they're doing is they're bringing you know retail forecast directly into the DOM. And doing the kind of inventory allocation by customer and by channel that you were talking about, Joe. Yeah. Well, it, it, it occurred to me also, if if I don't have a DOM, let's just say I was trying to manage a retail channel and an e-commerce channel and maybe even a marketplace channel. And I started kind of moving some of the retail over to the to the other channels. And I start doing that on a regular basis. What does it do to my forecasts? I mean, because now I now I think I sold all those to the retail. I mean, I'm sure there's some way to catch it, but this is why I want my dom to kind of manage that at a strategic level, so I don't have to fig later on figure it out through audits where my inventory doesn't match my where my sales don't match my uh, inventory. Sure, and and you know that starts with you know the original forecast and saying okay, my channel or and this is very common, especially in new product introductions where. You know, if it takes off, you know, there's just never enough inventory to meet the the initial demand. And so, right. you know, how, what channels are going to get, you know, what, what channels within the, the company are going to get what allocation of that initial inventory or whatever. And then, but the forecasts are always wrong. And so by definition, almost. And so, you know, as things change, uh, we've done some work with a uh, company in the entertainment media business, DVDs and CDs, and there's still CDs around the games or right. whatever. And they release a new a new uh, product and uh, you know, they have some, you know, some forecasts, but sometimes they're right. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's a product that's a hit that they weren't expecting much out of. Sometimes they something they thought would be a big hit as a dud. And so, you know, how do I, you know, re recalibrate my, uh, my inventory levels and, and uh, plan for that and be able to, you know, perhaps open up a new channel or whatever to get rid of excess, excess inventory. You know, that's the kind of thing again, a Dom can do. I, I worked for a forecasting software company for a while. It was a short, short stint, but, um, I remember the CEO brought me in when, when I first started. He said, Joe, the very worst thing that can happen is you under forecast when you don't have enough goods. He goes, the very worst thing that can happen, except 
getting too much inventory and not be able to sell it. I said, well, he says, I was a, like, that's what keeps a lot of us employed in the supply chain is solving yeah. that supply demand problem. It hasn't gone away yet. And uh, I don't think it's going to anytime soon. So he says, it's our job to get it smack dab right. He goes, and we never do it, but we're getting better every day. So let's talk a little about implementation. Well, I want to talk about implementation before we get to implementation. I'm going to give you my uh, layman's terms about what we're talking about. So in the olden days, not so long ago, we had warehouse management systems that would, I, so I received goods, I put it on my shelves and I know what my system tells me where it's all at. And uh, you might've called that inventory management systems too, but I, I know when it goes in and out of my facility and I know where it's stored, that was the simplest, right? And then I know when we talked last time, you talked about warehouse execution system. So give me just the quick definition of that before I, we get to the implementation. Yeah, sure. That's obviously for a whole other topic. But it, it, warehouse execution, so we, most people know WMS. Warehouse execution system is something that sits on top of, of in our case, our own WMS or, or in other cases, third-party WMS. It just brings a, a level of uh, orchestration and optimization to the fulfillment process that's just... Uh, kind of designed differently than a WMS traditionally was, which is a little bit more reactive. DOM is more proactive and kind of monitoring the environment all the time. It's always on. That's when I first had that explained to me is where I really, really started to get it there. And and it uh, it's just going to do some things in terms of capacity management and optimizing the flow of goods so you don't have you know peaks and valleys and things along that uh, nature. Again, it's a topic for a whole other conversation, but it's a really exciting and a lot of interest out there. But I think in, for a lot of us laymen, we just say WMS. But there's a WMS, then there's this warehouse execution system that sits kind of over top of that that makes sure my my fulfillment centers are running as effectively and efficiently as possible so I can get that throughput that I need. And then this DOM is a whole nother level. And is that my right to say it that way? Sure, although... Yeah. I mean, in general, yes. I mean, I will say that we have a number of uh, customers that are both DOMI and WMS. And in some cases, they thought they needed WMS. And when we got in there, it turned out really their initial pain point or the first thing to solve was 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 the DOM layer. And uh, and so, you know, that kind of kind of works. Now, one example of that, I just want to give this one quick user case study, because the two that we covered were kind of retail-ish centric and i've been saying how it's b2b as well so we have one customer that's a major appliance repair a business multi-billion dollar company and like uh, if anybody knows anything about the parts business it's very common to have uh, what's called a multi-echelon network where i've got master dcs regional dcs and in this company's case they've they've got uh, about 5500 or 6000 something like that technicians running around in vans that have their own inventory and so you think about it when um when an order, and, and they're, they're running both our DOMI and our WMS, when an order comes in uh, and we expect, or a repair order comes in, and we expect these parts are needed, somebody has to make a decision as to where do I get this part from? Do I get it from the master warehouse? Do I get it from the regional DC? Do I get it from uh, somebody that you know, has the inventory in a van 30 miles away in Boston? And so, again, it's, 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 it's a different problem, but in the end, it's the same problem. What's the best place to do this given capacities and constraints? And in some cases, this company, they may have made service commitments that even though the cheapest place to ship it from is from this node, there's some kind of, you know, SLA or whatever that they have to keep a certain level of inventory. And so they can't tap into that. So they have to, you know, have to move past that, even though it would be the best place to ship it from. And so we do all that. And at the end of the day, when the uh, part, when the technician is done, there may be parts that were taken off the machine. There may be parts that he thought he or she was going to need that they didn't need or whatever. And so we're actually doing the reverse logistics on that. And we're telling them, should I just keep it? Should I send it back to one of the regional or, or uh, master distribution centers? Should I ship it to the guy or gal in Boston right. 30 miles away? Or should I ship it to a repair center? And so we do all of that logic as well. And I just wanted to bring that up to show, you know, and a, lot, and a lot of DOM companies aren't interested in these kind of B2B type problems. We do the retail stuff too, but uh, we do a lot of very interesting stuff in B2B world as well. Yep. And by the way, I did a, a podcast with Throughput uh, with Seth, Seth uh, Page over there. And one of the things he talked about was from there, a lot of research suggests that 30% of the stuff that we build goes obsolete on shelves or perishes on shelves. And and I think that was very believable in the past where we had, didn't have good control over our inventory. But we all know if you go through a plant, there's always stuff, I mean, plant, plant or warehouse, you'll see obsolete stuff. 
And those parts companies are a perfect example because when you've got service parts, you never quite know how many you're going to need. So you build them. And then, and then to your point, I'm going to wait three days to get it when the guy 20 miles from me might have it in his truck. I call my buddy up and say, Dan, give me that part. <laughs> well, and, and, and let's look at like another kind of example of that. And then going back to the retail world, but just because it's kind of on top of mind here. But, you know, let's just say you've got seasonal merchandise in the northern parts of the country for summer, let's say. And now it's approaching fall and you've got a couple of choices. You can deeply discount the inventory at the store and hope it sells. Or I can ship to, uh, you know, return it. Usually it goes to winds up going to TG Maxx or, you know, some channel like that or whatever, whatever it happens to be. But with Dom, you know, I can say, all right, I have this this uh, summer outfit. You know, it's no one in Ohio where I'm at is going to order it in September or whatever. But you know what? Somebody in Miami might. And so now with the and most of the companies that implement these kind of solutions finally get a revenue bump from being able to sell some of that inventory that was kind of orphaned. Uh, but now if there's other markets for it, I don't I can just keep it at the store, keep it in the back room, be aware that it's there. And if an order comes in for, you know, we make it available in my, online in Miami, so any places in order, we're going to ship it from Ohio rather than having to return it to TJ Maxx. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So, again, I think that's it's some point there's a, a as you said, a revenue bump. But I think also as we're being in the supply chain asked to do more about sustainability, this is a good way to do it. We're going to we're going to make sure stuff doesn't get uh obsolete because it got old in uh, my facility when it could have sold 100 miles away. Sure. So let's talk about implementation. How do I implement a DOM? Yeah, well, again, topic, I'll just say this, that I will say this just in general. We hear stories of, of implementations that just take too long, and we're not quite sure why that is. And I'm talking, you know, nine months, 12 months, 15 months or whatever. Ours are typically done in about uh, four months, sometimes three months, sometimes five months, but uh, depending on the complexity and what resources the customer has and all of those kind of stuff. But one of the things we firmly believe in is getting the integrations to, you know, existing systems within the customer. If we need to integrate to, you know, third-party warehouse companies uh, and their WMS, if we need to integrate with vendors for a vendor dropship, get that stuff done early because you can't really test and configure, configure and test the DOM solution in any meaningful way, if you can't get that that actual you know feedback in terms of the what the other systems are how they're how they're uh, reacting whatever so we we start you know get the integrations done typically in a couple of months and that provides you then the foundation for a project that hopefully then will get done in 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 you know three four five months and and this is just provides you know a lot more value and and allows you to you know move forward with a project that's viewed as a, as a successful uh, endeavor. And then of course, you know, it's, it's, uh, you got to train some super users and a, a surprisingly low level of low level, low number of people. You don't need it people to support this application, to configure the rules. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the one omnichannel retailer example I gave, I think they have two halftime people that, uh, that look after this very low overhead uh, requirements and the, Inventory balancing that I talked about, actually, they had two full-time people that were doing nothing but that manually. Those people are all are off now doing uh, other work. Uh, and so uh, DOM does not have to be hard. It, you know, like any enterprise application, there's some challenges, whatever. But but uh, DOM does not have to be that difficult. And you want to be looking for somebody that can deliver in a reasonable time frame and, and, and not, you know, 12 months. Yeah. And I got to think, Dan, that our so the supply chain is going to have to as much as we've kind of quickly grown up in the last uh, decade for, with in regards to e-commerce, the omni-channel is going to get more challenging, not easier. We're not going to see people taking away services. We're not going to. We're still going to have all this. And you know, you touched on a little bit. We're seeing more B two B e-commerce. You know, I used to use e-commerce and direct to consumer interchangeably, but now there's a lot of businesses that are saying we're going to sell to our customers via e-commerce well yeah and i talked about the concept of you know sell anywhere ship anywhere we were talking with the uh european actually uh, auto parts company project is still kind of in formulation but you know that's their, their attitude and they want to be able to you know across their entire network you know worldwide know what inventory they've got where not only in their own facilities but in the third-party facilities and even at their various uh, dealers and retailers that they sell through and 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 being able to allocate that inventory as if it was their own when it's really a third party, you know, third party actually owns it. These are the kind of things that we're moving down. There's no question about that. And how you do that without a tool like Dom, uh, you know, effectively, I, I have no idea. 
Yeah. So take us through some of the benefits of this. I know we've kind of talked about a few of them as we've gone through, but touch on some of them again. As yeah, and I kind of hit them with the, the case studies or whatever. So, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, the ability to, you know, enable a lot of these processes with very limited to no modification of the existing systems that you, ha- that, that, that you have, being able to quickly and easily develop and, and, and adapt you know, how you want the business to run and, and, and your clock speed of doing that becomes just so much greater. I mean, when we, when the COVID popped up and we needed to support curbside picking, you know, we had some customers up and running in just a matter of a couple of days, literally. Um, it's kind of just a different form of buy online pickup in store, frankly, but, uh, you know, being able to, 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 to react very quickly. Uh, the level of inventory visibility across an extended network is just uh, not commonly in place today. Dom can allow you to do that. And, and again, it's all about keeping a customer happy but how do we keep the customer happy at the least cost to the company? And this is, again, what Dom can do. And it can solve, you know, very complex business problems for B2B companies, you know, such as trying, trying to uh, bring multiple orders to orders from multiple points together. We call this a, a order hub that sits on top of existing ERPs, no OMSs and whatever. No one can ever get on a single instance or whatever. You can put a Dom on top of all these other systems. They have one interface, basically. You know, in terms of uh, routing those orders to the right underlying, you know, MRP, order management system, ERP, whatever it happens to be. Those are just some of the highlights. But uh, it just, it's the flexibility that you have to defi- to execute what you want to do that really sets time apart. Yeah. And Dan, I can't help but think that a lot of companies are trying, and I guarantee they're being unsuccessful, trying to do this without a DOM. And maybe not even recognizing that there's a tool out there that will make this happen. And they're, and there's, they're doing it with emails and uh, phone calls and a whole bunch of manual interventions that I guarantee can't measure up. Yeah. And, and another take on that same, same theme, different, slightly different take, which is, you know, we've seen a lot like, you know, everyone had to do curbside when, you know, or by, you, you had to do it. There was no really choice in the matter. But what companies often did was, you know, the, the fastest way to get it up and running so that they could say they had the capability and execute on it somewhat. But, you know, do, 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 do the quick and dirty, I'll call it, solution that was put in place, you know, is it really flexible enough to keep up with the dynamic changes, opening, closing stores, all those kind of opening, closing distribution centers, bringing on a new supplier, all those kind of things. Can it do that quickly and 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 uh, rapidly? And can it scale to meet the needs of the business? So we're in conversations with uh, and have been with, number of uh, companies that uh, did it themselves, did it good enough to get by to begin with, but are looking for really a more commercial, scalable solution, more Something flexibility robust. than they did to try to minimize the uh, you know minimal effort to get it up and running in-house. Yep. So we've talked about DOM in general, distributed order management. So what makes the Softion DOM different and better? Well, I think I've you know, kind of hinted at some of them today here. Don't want to get too, too commercial, but you know, we just have a very flexible system or we're very... Uh, you know, we get uh, outstanding compliments with the flexibility of our rules engine every time we demo it to customers. So I think that's very strong. We've got, uh, you know, the ability to do both B2B and B2C. A lot of the uh, DOM vendors just aren't interested outside of the retail world. We not only are interested, we have a number of successes there in the third-party logistics market where DOM is starting to gain some uh, some normal momentum. And then we've got some a number of very innovative or differentiating features. I'll just mention a couple real quick. One is a simulation capability. So if you want to change your rules around how inventory is managed or fulfillment decisions are made or whatever, you know, how do you know if that's the right thing to do? Well, what we can actually do is to take actual orders, take the last 90 days of order, just for example, and run them through a simulation engine where we've changed certain parameters about which stores, how many stores we want to do store fulfillment out of or whatever that happens to be, inventory policies, new product introductions, and see the actual results of what this is how it ch- would have changed what actually we did do and and uh and and the outcome that we had there in terms of service levels and inventory levels and all those kind of things and usually you're going to find okay we need to make some additional tweaks run that simulation again okay now we got it where we want it and now we can promote that directly from the test environment into the production environment and and now you can have a great deal of confidence that the changes you made are going to result in these kind of benefits to you for for making them that we don't think anybody else is doing that and then second, we just have a kind of a, a dynamic uh, dynamic rules around different variables, weighted variables. You know, it's not just about cost. It's also about service. It's also about resources. It's also about all these things. And rather than having a hard fixed path in the rules, which is beneficial in itself, 
but more dynamically. So today I can say, all right, even though this order is cheap, is, is cheapest to ship from here, this facility over here is way underutilized in terms of order flow. So to balance and others are overflow, too much work, we're going to actually take, you know, consider a number of factors, we're going to take some of that work and move it to a facility that's going to be underutilized today. And so it's a multi-weighted set of attributes, you know, that you can define that it's not just a single answer, it's it's a blend based on a lot of different attributes. And that's where you can start to get into some AI type capabilities as well. I love both those features. So the the second one you just described. So there's two nodes and you say, hey, we put some rules in place. And I say, hey, cost. I can send it from this node one and it's going to be a little more costly, but it's going to get there a day earlier. And I can send it from node two. It'll be cheaper. But I don't want to just go just price and I don't want to go just time. So if I say, hey, it's only six cents cheaper to get there a day earlier. right? right um, exactly. or, or, or I take it back, six Six cents more expensive, but it'll be there a day earlier. I want that, you excuse weighted, but it's got that dynamic rules. And I need, that's the rules I need because they need to be able to roll with me, right? (laughs) They need to be dynamic. That's exactly right. The other one you described is the scenario planning. I think that is going to become the future. I think you described the future is we're going to look at the last quarter and say, had we changed the rules slightly, what would have last quarter looked like? And we say we would have had this many more on time or would have cost us this much on time or it was going to make us more money. Whatever, whatever that scenario looks like, if I can start basically go back and do lessons learned in a digital scenario. I love the, that. The, the things that work together, the, to, to, so you have the simulation capability or scenario planning, I'll call it because we do run a, a simulation. But that... The benefit of that is 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 associated also closely tied to the the speed with which you can change the rules. Okay, so in other words, if I could run a simulation, but then it's going to take me weeks and months to uh, to uh, configure the system to test whether those were would what the impact would have been, then the whole thing kind of falls apart, right? So you got to have the two things together: the simulation of the scenario planning with rapid configuration of rules changes, so that I can go through this iterative cycle in a relatively short period of time and come up with the solution that's right for me today. Right. So I've got I've heard people use the term digital twin for that. I've also heard people call it the digital sandbox. But basically I have a chance to learn and adjust in a in a digital environment that's not going to cost me money. And that's that's fantastic. Yeah, it it, it is a form I mean, digital twin means a lot of different things, but it is a form of digital twin, I would agree with you. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's the future. We're all going to see that in the, uh, before too long, and uh, we need it. We need it. Again, this is the dynamic nature of this is, again, it's a Rubik's Cube squared. It's just very difficult. No human's going to be able to figure this out in their head, so we need a system. Anyway, Dan, I want to wrap this bad boy up, but I had a few more things I want to talk to you about is um, how do we learn more about Softion? Yeah. So if you go to softion.com, uh, S-O-F-T-E-O-N, you'll find a lot of different resources. One thing I will really point you to is a couple years ago, a couple, three years ago, uh, my colleague and I, Satish Kumar, uh, co-authored a book called The Little Book of Distributed Order Management. And um, it's... Uh, if you give me a link, I'll put it in here. Yeah, it's a physical hard copy, but you can also, of course, download a PDF a version of it. It's about 70 pages that takes you through a lot of what we covered today, a little more detail, but not. it's easy read. We done with it quickly, and uh, we get a tremendous amount of downloads of that uh, that resource, and it's amazing the number of opportunities we walk into for Dom and somebody either references they have the little book. I will say, hey, we have this little book. They say, we know. We read it, you know, two months ago or whatever. So that's just under uh, the resources tab, I believe. It's not too hard to find. That's, you know, that's just, we have some other collateral brochures and white papers and things like that, but I'd, you know, just either download that, that electronic version or request a hard copy because we'll ship one to you. And uh, I think that's a place to start off and, you know, because uh, Dom is not understood. We talked about that today. So this is a great primer to help and understand what Dom is all about. Yeah. And uh, if you give me a link, I'll put it in the show notes. And Dan, didn't you guys create some videos also about kind of warehousing? Do you have some videos on this that we could add? I know it's not about Dom necessarily, but just overall. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think we got, I mean, we have all kinds of different webinars of of numerous kinds. So uh, certainly if you go out to the website and look under uh, webinar and videos, there's there's a rich array of material about all the different areas we talked about. Yep. And back to your original comment, among the complex or the complicated or the complex 
use cases, you guys do very, very well in the Gartner study. And, you know, as you were saying, uh, the, the com complex, I keep thinking, whose isn't complex at this one minute? Who's got an easy one? Yeah, you're, you're, there are not many simple ones left. That's a, you got that right on. So what I'll do, Dan, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to uh, Softy on so we can uh, reach out and talk to you. And uh, I really appreciate you taking us through this. And again, guys, if you're listening on this podcast, I, I know you hear distributor management. You think, oh, my God, that's uh, that's that's above my pay grade. That sounds boring. But this is what makes it all work. <laughs> you know, these This omni channel that you hear so much about, if it, it's going to work right, it's going to require a dom. It was a great discussion, uh, Joe. Appreciate you having me as always. Yep. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn. <laughs>